Hey everyone, this is Tony Holbein. You are listening to The Revenue Formula. In today's episode, we're going to talk about a really cool conversation I had with a private equity guy called Bob and how he thinks good companies versus great companies operate their business. Enjoy. This is a late recording for us. We're usually early birds on the mic. Who would tell? Yeah. I mean, well, they can probably see how caffeinated we are if they're watching on YouTube. Yeah, especially my jittering here. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No, I mean, we've, uh, we've been busy today. A lot of good stuff happening. A lot of meetings. I know you were in a pretty interesting meeting that we we're going to get into today. Yeah. So I think we should just jump into it. Who are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe don't say that. No, no, no. So, so I think, um, so I just had a, a fun conversation earlier today um, with um, kind of a private equity, you know, fund operator, if you will. Um, so for people that don't know this, so private equity is basically the grown-up version of venture capital. <laughs> <laughs> you just dinged a lot of VCs there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it is what it is, right? So um, <clears throat> tickets are much larger, obviously. Uh, usually private equity goes after companies that... Uh, are profitable sometimes mostly they're growing a lot less mm. less of a risk profile let's just say it like that in a private equity case you usually have complete failures uh, but limited upside yeah. um, in venture capital cases you out of 10 companies they invest in you have 9 that are basically returning 0 or 8 return 0 1 returns the money that they brought in and yeah. 1 is kind of the, the company that returns the whole fund private equity doesn't play in that high risk game they're kind of you know, scale it down quite a bit, right? <clears throat> so I had a conversation with that uh, guy in that case, and he is not necessarily on the investor side there, but he is on the uh, consulting and, right. uh, you know, being being very close to the company side. And I think that's also one thing that's different with private equity. Uh, since those funds basically own a majority stake, which can basically be 30, 40, 50, 60% of the company, <clears throat> Um they pretty much own the company. Yeah. Like legally, you know, with the governance and all of that stuff, they pretty much own the company. And uh, therefore, they're usually uh, much more hands-on than venture capital firms. So when someone is, you know, an operator from the private equity side, they will, um, you know, there's some governance pieces that obviously need to be kind of, uh, you know, kept in place. But they can basically, uh, you know, be part of your management team and mm, yeah. you know, get very, very hands-on. You know, stuff that, we from the VC side, if you have a VC person starting to operate, you know, like, okay, this thing is fucked, you know, <laughs> in a private equity sense, it's, it's less so. Yeah. So anyway, kind of, I chatted with him. Um, and obviously we were talking about some of the Groblox topics, but, uh, basically kind of, we were joking around and, uh, uh, I said, well, you know, Q1 is about to be over and obviously everyone hits Q1 yeah. and he's like, yep, everyone hits Q1, you yeah. know, congratulations. And uh, both of us were basically kind of going going on and basically said like, well, um, and in, in many cases, they're high-fiving on the Q1 result, having screwed up their funnel already so much that they're basically high-fiving on missing Q2 and beyond. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. Um, so that, that was kind of the conversation. We went a bit back and forth and so forth. And... Uh, uh, it is, it is something that we also see a lot, right? Q, yeah, yeah. Q1 usually, you know, if you finalize your plan in December, 
By the way, some people, and this is not uncommon, finalize their plan in January, maybe February. Oh, yeah. Guess what? They're gonna hit Q1. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. if you if you lock in your plan <laughs> end of end of February, guess what? You know, March <sighs> you you will probably be able to guess yeah. March correctly. Um, and uh, but still, kind of as you then move further out in the timeline, some of these things get get less clear, right? And in this particular case, um, uh, we were chatting a little bit about how um, his portfolio operates differently with this. Yeah. He's a team or a portfolio of, I think, so it's a large fund. Mm. Uh, portfolio of like 50 different companies. Yeah. Uh, all kinds of different sizes, you know, 10 million, 100 million. Again, all of them profitable, all of them probably growing below 20%. Yeah. You know. But usually kind of, they're also bigger, right? So 20 is... A lot of yeah, money. yeah, exactly, and and again, right? Because they're profitable, they can't just invest all the money that they have into yeah. growth. Uh, they need to balance it out quite a little bit, right? Um, and again, it's like 50, 50 different companies. Um, and we are giving this name now. He wasn't referring to those companies in in such a way, but basically, kind of splitting them into the good and the great yeah. companies. Yeah. yeah, it's also a book by Jim Collins. You probably read it. Uh, but basically, out of the fifty companies, he had. Eight-ish or so yeah. that he would classify as great. Yeah, and he's he's been really talking about this in this from like, oh wow, and this product is great, and all of this stuff is great, and the people are great. No, the way they're operating is great, yeah. right? And and the way then, obviously, you know what that really means for him is they they're making their number pretty yeah. much. That's all <laughs> you're gonna care about at the end of the day. It's, it's very <laughs> it's very high contrast. It's yeah. very black and white. Yeah. It's like yes or no. Um, and then he has the other 42 companies, which are uh, not hitting their number. They're only the, you know, quote unquote, good companies in that <laughs> sense. And so obviously I asked him, well, how do they differentiate? Yeah. Um, and um, uh, and yeah, and today we want to, you know, talk a little bit about um, how they how they operate differently and yeah, how yeah. then the, the great ones are able to flip this into a better relationship in this case with their private equity firm. Yeah. But in you know other people's cases that are listening here, better relationship with you know their shareholders, you know their employees, in yeah. that sense and so forth. And that's what we're gonna spend a little bit of time on today. Yeah. So I feel like we should give him a name, the EQT guy. Can we call him Bob? Let's call him Bob. You know what? <laughs> He's called Bob. So maybe don't no. <laughs> no, no. No. Okay, let's call him okay. Bob. Okay, so there's good and great companies. Let's get into what what makes the good company then. What are they doing? Yeah. And again, right? So this is private equity uh, perspective from the outside into those organizations, but fairly granular. Um, and he was basically describing it as uh, where both of these companies are very, very similar is in the leading up to, let's just say, creating the budget or the financial plan, yeah. right? Um, so the typical thing is there's a conversation on the board. Where should they be growing? Some of that is already pre-prepared from finance. So they have a couple of solutions to kind of go after. Um, they then lock in or roughly lock in on, hey, we want to grow by that percentage or yeah. to that number and so forth. Then there's um, usually, you know, kind of an executive strategy offsite <laughs> where they where where they go and try and figure out, well, how are we actually going to do that, right? They, yeah. to a degree, come up a little bit with the, the go-to-market strategy or what's the strategy for next year. And, yeah. and that includes a little bit, ah, I feel we can grow more in this region, we can do more there, we can do more here and so forth, right? Um and and the strategy then is being, uh, let's just say it's um, it's codified into um, into a financial plan into a budget. Yeah. Because that's really important, especially in a private equity case. They own your company. Yeah. 
well, it's not your company actually anymore. They <laughs> yeah. own the company around you, um, and they want to make sure that you're a good steward. And yeah. uh, and in order to ensure that, they want to have the budget in place and, and so forth, right? Uh, so you're going to create this budget uh, based on where the board wants to take this mm. and where the executive team, they want to kind of drive the strategy towards, mm. right? So you basically will have uh, costs allocated in a specific region for, you know, or maybe in a, in a function and so forth, right? That's usually kind of how this whole stuff breaks down. <clears throat> and, um, and then, you know, January 1 comes and that's the budget and that's what they're kind of executing. They're hiring the people, they're spending the money and so yeah. forth. Um, and and those are also the companies, just like the great ones, that are hitting Q1, mm. right? But at the end of Q1, because it's a financial plan, they basically will be able to say that, you know, in, in January, February, and March, we were supposed to get in so much revenue. Mm. And maybe they can break it a little bit apart and how much of that was renewal, how much of that is new base, and so forth. Um, but basically what they know at the end of uh, March is that high five, fantastic, we are a fantastic team. Mm. We hit the Q1 number. Yeah. Uh, and that really means revenue in that sense. Um, and obviously, this is where, you know, Bob and I... Uh, <laughs> As we call him. <laughs> we were like, um, so, but but obviously, um, you know, they don't really actually know whether or not they're on track for Q2. No. Um, because maybe they have sales cycles of three to six months. Yeah. Um and in order to hit whatever goal they have coming after, they actually need to create the pipeline and mm. the meetings and the leads and the traffic and, you know, all of those different regions. Um, and, and and they don't know about it, actually, mm. right? Um, and again, this is, we're talking 80% of companies here. We're not talking, and not every company is private equity backed here, right? So this is this is really what the traditional folks are doing. You might have some pockets where the marketing, uh, you know, folks have a little bit of an idea what they want to run in, in SQLs. Yeah. They're obviously not differentiating that much further and so forth, right? Um, so what is now different uh, to the great companies though, right? Uh, so again, the great companies uh, do the same thing. There's the sport thing, there's the executive offsite, there's the financial plan. Um, but then, you know, see there, um, they are basically taking this financial plan into one further step. Yeah. Um, basically creating a go-to-market plan. Yeah. Yeah. Which we kind of talked about also in a previous episode, the plan yes, no one yes. makes. We were talking, talking about this a lot. Yeah. So, <laughs> because we care about uh, it. Yeah, we and care it's about important. it. And, uh, and it's just so funny talking to uh, to the PE guy here on uh, how he kind of sees that actually being applied yeah. in, in reality, right? And obviously then the go-to-market plan um, works backwards from the... Um, uh, uh, from the from the revenue targets basically that they have, right? Yeah. And um, I don't want to talk too much about the planning piece as such, right? I think we covered this. Mm. But at the end of the day, um, if you have based on your go-to-market strategy, if you want to go more into the US and you want to see more revenue coming out of that, you need to have an idea how long before that. You obviously need to have your you know opportunities yeah. in place and how many SKLs you need and and all of that stuff, yeah. right? Um, basically, planning out the funnel. Yeah. How are you going to create the pipeline? How you, I mean, how are you going to how are you going to kind of get to this revenue thing in the yeah. end? And um, and since they now have some metrics for the funnel, split into the different regions, split into maybe the different revenue streams, right? Inbound, outbound, referral, partners, whatever. Um, you then basically are also at the end of Q one. Uh, you're also high fiving because you also hit. Obviously, you know, Q1 target. Um, but now you're in a position where you 
know whether or not you hit the funnel metrics that you wanted to hit in order then to prepare Q2, Q3, Q4, yeah. right? And, you know, the the scenario that I mean, kind of talked into the the easy, the easy stuff, uh, the, the, the simple stuff is, okay, now we know we're like off by two opportunities there. We need to do something about it. It's kind of the trying and fixing approach. Yeah. And it's super important. Uh, talked a little bit, I think also in the last episode, a little bit about um, how some of the 100 million plus companies are doing yeah. this really successfully, yada, yada. Um, what was really interesting with him from his perspective to talk about, um, let's just say, a, a replanning. Yeah. Yeah. And I think in a Growblox world, we would actually call it kind of continuous GTM replanning. Yeah. Right. Um, because there's fresh data coming in, things working out, things aren't working out. Um, and that at some point goes beyond the uh, seeing an issue and trying to fix it yeah. uh, perspective. <clears throat> yeah. I think it's also super important if you have mapped out the funnel metrics, you have some that are earlier. To, to someone becoming a customer, you can see once things start sliding and acted. So, yeah. no, exactly. And um, and I think kind of uh, when we kind of talked about the ZP earlier today was also, funnily enough, almost all assumptions, yeah, all everything you want to improve in your go to market, <laughs> it usually always hits in Q two. So so it's gonna be for us, you know, higher ACV, yeah. lower churn, yeah. higher conversion rates. But let's push it out yeah. one quarter so all of us can have one good commission check and then get yeah. slapped. You know, <laughs> no, it's also easier. We hit Q one, we know we're gonna hit, yes. and then a letdown. Yes. You know, Q two. So, um, and also, you know, let's just say, and you know, we're making fun of this, but we've all been guilty of this. Yeah, yeah, also. totally. But um, uh, basically, you know, even even if you have something, an assumption plan for Q1 um, and you miss it, it's like, ah, yeah, we're just a month late. Yeah, yeah. It's going to happen <laughs> in April. Sure. <laughs> so, but, you know, that was kind of, uh, uh, th that was kind of one of these things here. But we were basically talking about how um, he... Um, and he's very much into all of that stuff as well. And he basically wants to make sure that all the good companies start to yeah, apply the, the great yeah. kind of approach to it. Um, and we were kind of talking through how uh, how him and I kind of seeing, um, you know, people should be actually doing it. Yeah. It was really interesting. So number one, um, once you know that you're behind somewhere yeah. on a metric and you're behind beyond a fix. Let's yeah. just say it like that. Kind of an easy fix. Hey, oh, we need to just, you know, work a little bit harder and so forth. Once it comes a little bit to a breaking point where you feel like, oh, oh, um, you know, we, we won't just be, uh, you know, tweaking a couple of things. We need to rethink this again, right? And let's just say that's a little bit of a replanning motion. And I kind of can see how those two things slide into one another. It's yeah. kind of a fuzzy area, right? But basically the, the, the first step is... Uh, to know that you have a significant enough difference, yeah. right? That's the first step. You basically see opportunities trailing off. You talk to the sales manager or the whoever, um, and they basically have, hey, you know what? Um, we, we might be able to catch up on what we need to do in September and October and so forth, but uh, basically the stuff that we've already missed um, and the stuff we're likely going to miss in the next few months uh, we won't be able to kind of win that back. Yeah. We just won't be, right? Yeah. So that's almost the, okay, uh-oh, now we have a bigger issue because if some of those opportunities are um, permanently missing, yeah, you now need to figure something else out, right? So step number one is assessing the damage, really. And um, you can really assess it in two ways. One is on the metric level. Yeah. Um, how many opportunities versus what should have been, how many 
leads versus what should have been, how many whatever. Yeah. Um, or, and this is a little bit more complicated, you can assess it on a revenue impact by the end of the year level. Yeah. It's a bit more complicated to calculate that out. So this is, you know, step number one, number one assessing the damage, really, yeah. right? Step number two is trying to solve the problem inside of the team where the problem is originating from. Yeah. yeah? So the simple one is um, you are in sales, you're not uh, producing as many opportunities because that's now the example. Yeah. Um, and uh, basically now, you know, the sales manager now needs to figure out how are we actually going to solve that, yeah. right? Because some of these opportunities are lost. Um, and one fix here now could be, and this might, you know, require uh, the CFO to approve and so forth, um, would be to overhire. Mm. Yeah. So basically your original plan was to um, grow to 20 or 30 outbound reps, yeah. uh, whatever, you started going in that direction. Um, maybe hiring is on track, but performance is not on track. But the way to catch up, you actually need to overhire. Yeah. You now need to, instead of 20, you need to grow to 25 in the same time period yeah. in order to catch up the, the gap that you have created, right? Um, and then, you know, as long as you're staying within the team, uh, you can actually stay on the, on the metric level. Mm -hmm. You can basically say like, okay, so wait a minute, we have a gap now of 50 opportunities. We know, I mean, it's simple math and it's, you know, it's this outbound things our typical go-to, but it's just so fucking simple. Right? Yeah. Uh, hey, we need to, uh, we have, you know, 50 opportunities we're behind. We know that an SDR can do 10 opportunities, maybe, you know, over, overhiring by two or three reps and then we kind of going to get there. Yeah. Well, knowing though that that overhiring needs to happen uh, pretty soon because you have the, um, you have your sales cycles. And you actually need to create those additional 50 opportunities, um, you know, in September in order for them to potentially close in, yeah. in December, right? So this is what happens within the team. And I actually kind of have one example from, from our Falcon time, uh, which basically was, uh, we, we didn't have the, so we were behind on opportunities. Yeah. And um, the, the problem wasn't, I mean, the problem is always performance, right? But the problem really actually wasn't performance per rep. So all of that was working out. It was, you know, we were managing it pretty well. Um, but we basically um, were behind on hiring. Again, mm. it's a thing that a lot of people run into. Yeah. Um, but in this example, pretty interesting. So I was sitting down with the talent attraction team and, uh, you know. Hire faster. <laughs> yeah, with a German accent. <laughs> Schneller! Yeah. Uh, um, and um, the... Wow, this was awkward. Yeah. Let's edit see. it out. Edit yeah. it out. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the, the thing is now, I sit there um, and, it, you know, it's not my team. You know, I can't... No. You know, I, you I, can, no... I can only kind of apply a little bit of pressure and, hey, this is really important and others we miss target and that, you know, has consequences. Yeah. And they were like, oh, okay, cool, Tony. Thanks thanks for adding some pressure. And now, now we can sleep worse at night. But yeah. It's not going to change anything, and and they were obviously right about it, um, and uh, basically what uh, what we then discussed and debated was like, well, why why aren't you why aren't you able to hire more? And it's like, well, you know, we have those uh, recruiters, and they're at max, and they're getting what they should be producing in terms of headcount per yeah. you know uh, recruit and stuff like that. Um, and uh, I was like, well, but I'm I'm basically missing uh, I don't know. 25, no, probably like $100,000 per SDR being delayed. Yeah. Something like that. Something crazy. Uh, I actually was like 
$15,000 per month per SDR. Yeah. And we were talking it's, about like five SDRs that were delayed. Yeah. Boom. You know, that calculates quickly. And then I was like, well, you know, just for one month being delayed, I can just buy you a recruiter. Yeah. You know, I don't care. You know, it's it's out of my budget. Yeah, that's going to, you know, suck. But I'm also not paying those five SDRs. Yeah, yeah. So basically you have money left over. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we ended up uh, uh, from our customer acquisition cost budget hiring a an extra recruiter in order to then overhire and fix you know that problem potentially right yeah. um, and this is a this is an example of solving the problem within the team yes I gave you know money to recruitment in order to kind of fix some of that but basically it helped us to uh, create more opportunities for then eventually yeah. hit by the end of the year but it wasn't going outside the team to marketing and saying hey we need double the opportunity in DAC or anything yes. like that to compensate the gap. So that's what Bob and I discussed is the third step, actually. Ah, good setup. <laughs> good setup, Mikkel. Um, so basically, kind of once you kind of leave the in-team thing, yeah. um, I advise heavily, um, and, you know, you know, Bob and I would kind of discuss the same thing here, but basically, um, once you go outside of the team, you need to start um, leaving the op the metric piece behind. Yeah. How many opportunities are you behind? And you start, you know, quote unquote, pricing it in. You need to say, well, this opportunity gap is resulting in X amount of a revenue gap. Yeah. The reason is is that um, those opportunities are not interchangeable across teams. Yeah. Right. The outbound opportunities will generate. Um, you know, they will convert in a specific way in a specific time and uh, uh, for a specific amount of money. And that might be different from your marketing opportunities. Yeah. yeah? Um, and for example, in marketing, they usually go faster through the funnel. So really, you actually have more time now. Yeah. You could create an opportunity in October, November with marketing and it could still hit. Yeah. Right? So you basically, you can't just take one for one in that case. And, and again, marketing might not even think in opportunities. Maybe they think in... SQL, so they're thinking something yeah. else. Um, so really what you now want to do is you want to have a revenue impact, and maybe this is a million euros or something like that. Um, and then you actually want to, uh, again, number one is still, okay, out of out of the million, how much can that team that created the issue fix themselves? Yeah. Maybe a little bit, maybe nothing. Um, but then still you need to go out and almost tender around um, yeah. who can chip in on the on the million. Right. Mm. And and that now becomes not a sales management conversation. This becomes now a go-to-market team conversation. Yeah. And here then again, right? You could um you would basically kind of be approaching this with marketing eyes. It's yeah. like, okay, what could we do to find another million dollars? Yeah. Um, and since our CAC payback is 15 months, that might actually translate to 1.2, 1.3 million dollars that marketing could get in order to produce a million by the end of the year. Yeah. And I can tell you, folks, once you post that question like that in a go-to-market executive leadership team meeting, hands will go up pretty quickly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because basically, uh, basically, you're now moving. You know, it's, it's not only, hey, you know, can I have more, can I have more out of you or something yeah. like that? Uh, this now becomes a Here's a here's you know a sizable amount of cash that I have because yeah. it's now open. I want to give it to you, no. and I can give it to someone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and um, and uh, you know who wants to basically 
have it and yeah. you know how much of it and so forth. Auction style in the it's yeah. well it's it's not really no, no. like that, but it's it's a very different conversation from hey, uh our VP sales screwed up. Yeah. Uh VP marketing, how much of that problem can you take? Uh in, you know, and, and instead of that saying, well, uh on the sales side we're gonna be a million short. Yeah. And there's some more specific math around it and maybe you just can't move a million around like this. Yeah. Um but strictly speaking well, if you want to hit our CAC payback, um, you know, that 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 would be the number I maybe want to have from you, right? And and that differs. You know, marketing might have a worse CAC payback than outbound, or maybe yeah. it's completely reversed, depends on you, right? Um, so we can actually start playing a little bit around with that. But basically, I think what's really important is not just saying, I need a million more by the end of the year, but also saying, um, you know, there will be budget going uh, according to that. No, I think it's super powerful. I've, I mean, it's probably rare, rarely the case that anyone has heard someone coming asking for help and then also providing, you know, budget the other way. It's usually, hey, I know you're doing whatever you can, but I need you to generate a hundred more opportunities in this this market. So, and, and I then, think, I think that's so. That sounds so sane yeah. when people say it, but I think in reality, um, you know, crazy CEOs like myself, we don't operate like that. Actually, yeah, it's like. Well, we need to pull it off, and you need to now pull it off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, but it, it's also a matter of you've set some target and budgets, and usually you even want to stretch those a bit. So, you know, asking for, hey, can we just do 10% more to make up for yeah. the gap? That's that's still tough, right? No, no, exactly. And right? I think if you counterbalance that with additional budget, then you then it's not as much of a, oh, now I need to figure out what not to do or yeah. spend. Or, yeah. But it's actually, okay, we have this on top, so we could go to this conference or pull this yeah. thing off or so I think and when you when you think about this now right so this is um let's just say you have that conversation by the end of March yeah you still have like good time yeah to even hire someone to set up an event to kind of see some uh, you know move move some stuff around yeah. um in order to see some result coming out of this obviously um theoretically speaking uh Everything that you come up with at that point in time is either more risky or more expensive, so less efficient than mm. what you've done before, in theory. Because otherwise, uh, why didn't you, why didn't you include it in the first place? Yeah, right. So I think there's some some of those things are to consider, right? And um, and again, you know, the ability to see that happening in March and April, and then acting on that, like that again, right? That's what's separating good good from great, yeah. kind of in this degree, right? Yes. So this was step number three. So you have a gap. Uh, in this case, you need to price in the gap. Then you tender around the gap in the go-to-market teams. Uh, you find a solution outside of the team where it's originating from. Um, but that also requires budget being movable yeah. to a degree, right? Um, and, you know, from my experience, very much uh, budget is always easier to move than to uh, lower down, you know, your revenue expectations or something like that. Uh, but some some organizations that are more rigid, it's a little bit more difficult. So I would even say that, um, uh, you know, this can sometimes be a prohibitor of you hitting your tie, kind of budgets being too yeah. strict, right? So kind of there's, there's something to be, maybe a conversation to be had with your with your CFO, if you will, right? Um, so once you kind of maybe come to that point now, you're number three, you want to redistribute budget, uh, you want to, you've figured out how to still get there, but that, now there's kind of a, a, a fourth step actually that needs to be completed, and that's that's why it's a planning thing. Yeah. It's kind of there are quite a couple of things around it. 
which really is running through the whole model or your whole plan and then figuring out what are new, let's just say, issues that we've created now. Yeah. And, and what I mean by that is, a typical example, uh, we wanted to grow more in the US because that was the strategy and that's really helpful. Uh, guess what? We didn't achieve uh, doing that. So now we need to move budget from the US to EMEA, yeah. right? This is where a lot of you know companies stop basically, but in reality now you would need to say like, okay, wait a minute. That kind of means we, you know, let's just say that budget was moved from the outbound team in, in the US to maybe the outbound team in EMEA or from the outbound team in the US to the marketing team in EMEA or something like that. That actually now means that these AEs that you plan to hire, yeah to take care of those opportunities in Q3, Q4, they also now need to be moved over to EMEA. Yeah. Right? You can't just you can't just stop at, okay, marketing and EMEA is, you know, taking this ball now and running with this. You need to kind of think through the downstream effect yeah. of that change. Yeah? So that's why, you know, that budget shift actually uh, affects quite a lot of different teams, you mm -hmm. know, at the same time, right? Um, and, uh, uh, you know, basically thinking about it um, you know, splitting your different roles into um, almost uh, pipeline creating teams yeah. or roles. Um, and then you have uh, capacity roles. Yeah. Uh, so AE is a typical capacity role. Yeah. They obviously do some self-prospecting and so forth. It's never more than 12, uh, 20%. Um, so they have a capacity that needs to be filled up, right? It's this glass of water that, Anyway, I'm not going to go into this <laughs> metaphor here. Um, so AE is a typical example, but you might have uh, inbound SDRs. Yeah. Uh-oh, not so many more opportunities or leads coming in in the US. Do I still need to hire that additional inbound SDR? Yeah. No, you can move this That's... around. Or, hey, you know, the US was expected to grow by X March, so the CSMs that are needed... Actually, I don't need anymore. Same yeah. for support people and so forth. So there, you know, might be for management and so forth. There might be a couple of other things around it uh, where you just need to kind of rethink now whether or not that's necessary to install or not. Right? Yeah. Um, and you know, at this point, everything is still PG. Everything is still great. Um, at the the, the last point though is uh is is kind of moving on to the fifth one here actually, <laughs> which is which is a little bit funny. Uh, potentially, let's let's see how it lands. But basically, you you see you have a problem. You try to fix it on the small scale. You figure out maybe you need to fix it on the big scale. You did the replan, and you realize, hey, you're still going to be short. Yeah, something is still missing. Uh, you're not going to get up to the revenue number that you promised everyone, right? Yeah. So now you need to sit down in a private equity led board, which is a very different climate from sitting in the VC board, how, by the way. How so? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's more serious. Okay. And people have suits. Okay. And, you know. So no, not the startup mentality. Not, no, no, no. No, no Patagonia. No. no. <laughs> well, <laughs> still plenty of Patagonia happening. Okay. But still, right? So basically, you need to kind of have a conversation with the board. Um, because maybe now you need to take down guidance and so forth. Mm. Um, and, and really, kind of the difference is still, think about it. You are in April, early April now. Yeah. You have your early April board meeting. Um, you're coming off hitting Q1. Mm. So really, um, you know, Q1 is great board meeting season because everyone is hitting. So yeah. high five to that. Um, 
But basically, now you kind of have a happy board that was just congratulating you on your Q1 success, yeah. patting you on the shoulder. And then as you turn the next page, uh, you basically now, in a, in a good mood board meeting, can say, hey, folks, I think we have a problem in Q4. Yeah. It's going to be X amount of millions. We calculated it out. Uh, we you know, want to do so much catch up in sales in order to kind of to slim the gap. We moved some budget around from EMEA to the US or vice versa. Um, we did the whole thing, but still we're going to have X amount of gap. Yeah. Um, you know, let's not put this into the budget right now, but this is kind of our guidance, early warning guidance almost yeah. that you want to give towards the end of the year that, hey, we're trailing off. Yeah. yeah? And you know what? Bob the PE guy loves that. <laughs> Because Bob, the PE guy, knows that uh, I hope he's not going to listen to no. this. <laughs> no, but uh, he knows that out of his 50 companies, many, many will have a gap at the end. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but now this company is addressing that ahead of time. They can make some smarter decisions around it. Yes, it might lead to, okay, well, overall, if you can't get there, maybe then you, in general, can't hire so many people, yeah. right? There will be some of those repercussions coming out of this. But, you know, consider the alternative, yeah? You are uh, setting out the board meeting. Yeah. Uh, um, and again, right, you came out of a Q1, which is great. Uh, high five, board meeting ends. Um, at this point, you already screwed up your Q2. Yeah. You know, no one knows about it, but you already did. So Q2 in a board meeting happens and it's a soft miss. Yeah. Um, and maybe Q3 is going to be the hard miss. That's usually how that continues. Um, and in between those two board meetings, you will now need to tell someone because you, now you know. Yeah, yeah. Now, now you also know <laughs> that you're not going to hit the end of the year. Yeah. And I can tell you it's a very different mood when you have that conversation proactively oh, yeah. coming off of a good year, of a good quarter, uh, discussing that versus um, you missed a few times already mm. um, and then saying, I'm going to miss more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a different conversation. Yeah, totally. And, um, uh, and, uh, and also, you know, especially, you know, in, in this private equity case, but in generally in board, you yeah. know, setups, um, people will be less forgiving at that point, right? Yeah. And um, it's um, it's it's also a thing of like confidence to get right. And maybe there's almost like a CEO message here, yeah. so, you know, potentially also for CFOs. But it's almost like um, if you have missed already without warning a couple of times, and then you give warning for more misses, mm. it's like, are you going to tell us the full story? Yeah. I mean, how many, how many more surprises are we going to have by the end of the year? Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think it's, um, and I think you're just in such a better uh, position to course correct, replan, yeah, uh, and so forth. Um, if you address that, if you address that at the right amount of time, uh, yeah. at the right point in time, actually. So I guess what we're really saying is check your Q2 pipeline now. Yes, check it now. I mean, we were <laughs> considering to start the episode with like, hey everyone, high five to Q1. <laughs> But 90% of you already messed up Q2. Yeah. Which <laughs> probably is, is very much true. Actually. You can still fix it, though. You have time. You have well, time. Q2 is going to be difficult now. But well, at least at least you know about it. Um, no, but I mean, I'm not sure I'll be doing on time, actually. No, I think we're also coming uh, about to an end. There but, you uh, go. I got to say, Bob, he sounds like a smart guy. Bob is a very smart guy.
I hope he's happy with the name, like the cover name. I don't know. I think he's, he's gonna be fine. Well, thanks so much for sharing that story, Tony. I hope the listener enjoyed it. I'm pretty sure they did. We don't know. We don't Let's know. See. I mean, at least they're gonna be happy because they're gonna hit you one, right? That's so. right. That's right. <laughs> Wonderful. Wonderful. <laughs> Still in sync. Still. Jesus. I don't think you hit the record button, by the way. No, it is. It's just done.